1: Trojan fans, welcome to the Parastyle Podcast. On a Wednesday, this is our preview podcast. We're going to preview the Trojans going to Tempe, Arizona to take on the Arizona State Sun Devils. We want to get the inside scoop of what's going on on the other side of the aisle. We're going to talk to Chris Cartman coming up here in just a minute. He does a great job covering the Sun Devils for sundevilsource.com. If you have any questions or comments for our show, please email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Dot com, or you could call or text. The number is 424-254-9141. we got some voicemails. we got some text messages. Got a bunch of emails to get to. So as we normally do on these preview shows, I'll talk to our guests first, and then afterwards I'll do my best to answer all of the questions you've sent in. There are a lot of questions this week, so I'll try to get through them as quickly as possible. Right now, as of the time I'm recording, no athletic director has been named for USC, so there's some newsy stuff. There, obviously, uh, you know, what's going on with this Trojan football team? Three games left. If you remember last year, the team was five and four, did not win one of their remaining three games, and did not go bowling. So we don't think that's going to happen this year, but uh, we want to preview this could be a feisty Arizona State team. So let's bring in our guest and talk all about it. Chris Cartman does an amazing job covering the Sun Devils, football, basketball, and recruiting here on the 24-7 Sports Network. Follow him on Twitter at Chris Cartman K-A-R-P-M-A-N. Thanks for coming on, Chris.
2: Ryan, always great to be with you, man.
1: Chris is my source for all ASU information. He knows what's going on inside and out of that program, and it's been very interesting with Herm Edwards at the helm. Second year, Herm Edwards, uh, the head coach at Arizona State, he's proving a lot of the doubters wrong, including me. What stood out to you the most of what Herm's done? there uh, in Tempe?
2: Well, you know, Ryan, he's found a very good uh, way about how to balance being a disciplined program, but also allowing players to have their own uh, unique personalities. I think he does a good job of just relationship development, keeping an open door, having ongoing dialogue. And then I think he picked uh, a very good defensive coordinator in particular, and somebody who uh, matched his ideology and would be able to build the team in the image that he really wants it to be, which is really having a, a defense and then a run game that can travel, he, he says that all the time. And then getting Jaden Daniels as a freshman quarterback in his second year, of course, is uh, a really big development for the program that they can really build around him as a centerpiece. So I think those are some of the the main things that really stand out about. Uh, what they've done to this point.
1: It's been a very good recruiting staff, and you mentioned Jaden Daniels, the freshman sensation at quarterback. Can you evaluate his play? Obviously a big recruit for Herm Edwards and company. His play and development, you know, three quarters of the way through his first season. Well, he's
2: far and away the best freshman quarterback that I've seen at ASU. He was the first to ever start the first game of his freshman year, so that just speaks to his talent, but he's really poised. The ball never really seems to be put in jeopardy Uh, The decision-making is really almost pristine for a freshman, which is, uh, you know, kind of hard to imagine. He's also an accurate three-level thrower, and uh, he's somebody who can make a lot of plays with his feet when things break down or when he has to scramble, even though that's not really his preference. He is still very skinny and is going to have to get a lot uh, bigger and stronger, but uh, the potential is, is there for him to be a first round type of a talent. And I, I I'm guessing he's probably not going to be around more than three years because there just haven't been really any guys like him in an ASU Jersey at quarterback uh, in recent decades. So that's something that they, that they don't want to let go to waste. You know, I mean, y- you have a quarterback like that. They're going to have a maturing defense in the next year. Uh, they need to make sure that they maximize that and take advantage of it as their roster matures into next year. And then especially 2021.
1: Some uh, teams have, you know, running back by committee. Not ASU. There's a feature back. It's very clear. It's Eno Benjamin. Seven touchdowns. He's third in the Pac-12. He's also got 22 catches for 204 yards, a couple of touchdowns. 679 rushing yards, like pretty good. But did you expect him to have kind of a bigger season? And how how would you evaluate how he's played so far?
2: Yeah, I kind of thought that his numbers would drop off a little bit for two reasons. Partly having a freshman quarterback, although that hasn't been the main reason. Uh, The significant thing that's really hurt ASU's offense and also Benjamin's production has been their offensive line which lost two of their best players from last year and then another one who's been on a personal absence pretty much all year. They they have two true freshmen playing on their offensive line, and they're just not as good up front as they were last year. And so Benjamin, he's having to deal with a lot of defensive players in the backfield pretty quickly. He's breaking a lot of tackles, a lot of it's hard running. He has a couple good games of late that's kind of made his yards per carry number look better. But for a while there, he was at the bottom of the Pac-12, despite him being clearly one of the better backs in the Pac-12. They they are getting a little bit more continuity and some rhythm with their run game. And I think that they have a chance to have a decent outing against USC. I'm Certainly, he's probably a little bit frustrated from a number standpoint and just the running lanes not being what they had been last year.
1: No, Nikhil Harry. How about some of the other skill position guys? Who's uh, who stands out to you so far uh, in this offense?
2: Well, Brandon Ayuk is, is excellent. I think he's got a chance to be like a like maybe a second, third round NFL pick if everything goes right for him. Like if he finishes the the year really strong, he's going to be a thousand yard receiver. I think he he's different than Harry. He's not like that that possession 50 bar receiver. He's more of a guy who's uh, a run after the catch. Uh, he's a little bit more slippery as a route runner. He's someone that is going to potentially give USC and other teams some issues. Uh, he'll test uh, the, the coverages certainly. Uh, other than that, you know Frank Darby is, is a big play threat. Doesn't really make a lot of just you know routine kind of catches. It's more like just big plays down the field. Uh, Kyle Williams is a guy that they use a lot on the short to intermediate type stuff. He moves chain. He's a good blocker. He's a glue guy for them offensively. They haven't really got their tight ends going in the way that I think they had hoped to. Uh, they have a freshman, Nolan Matthews, who's really talented, but he's just not quite ready yet. And Curtis Hodges is a hybrid guy, but he's not been reliable. Uh, so really, it, it's they have only you know several weapons on their offense that you really have to key in on primarily, of course, Benjamin, Brandon Ayuk, and then you have to watch uh, the big play home run shots, the Frank Darby, and then Kyle Williams on some of the, the shorter, the quick-hitting type stuff.
1: Overall, not a lot of explosive plays on offense, really, in the run game or the pass game. Is that kind of been designed? Is that the way the offense has been designed this year?
2: Um, not so much. I think they would definitely like to have more potency in that regard, but I think the big part that's limiting them is the protection, right? If you can't really hold up in protections long enough to, to, to allow time for those routes to develop down the field, that's a problem. And also, I think people know who their big play weapons are. So it, it's that makes it a little bit easier for defenses to key on them in some regards. You know, I, I think those are the main factors of the run game we kind of talked about earlier. They haven't had. They haven't hit on those big runs from scrimmage because they just haven't had those clean initial holes for Benjamin to get on the second level really quickly. And, and so that's been, that's been an issue for them all year because they, it, it's not just that they haven't had those really big plays in enough number. They also haven't been able to move the change, you know, on longer drives very successfully against uh, especially better defenses because they uh, have execution issues uh, that are you know, related to their youth and, and some of their other issues.
1: On the defensive side of the ball, the run defense looks stellar. Uh, number 22 in the nation, giving up 100 and just under 115 yards per game. Opposing backs are averaging just over 3 yards carry, 3.22 yards. Per carry, also not giving up a lot of big plays. Only twenty-two runs of ten yards or more, and five of twenty more or twenty or more, both in the you know top ten in the nation. What's uh, what's been good about this Arizona State run defense?
2: Well, they're really good against pro-style teams in particular, the teams that want to run straight at you. They've been able to clog gaps up. They've been able to get to the backfield and be disruptive on first and second downs. This defense is really good. The the problem has been. And kind of inexplicably they've given up a lot of third down completions, including, you know, more of the the medium to long variety, which is not what you would necessarily expect. And that's been frustrating for Danny Gonzalez, the coordinator, and some of the players. That was really also an issue, particularly against UCLA, against Colorado the teams that they they lost to in Utah, probably to a lesser extent, even though they were they were thoroughly beaten by Utah. So I just feel like um they got to do better on third downs and some of the some of the the runs that are more like outside breaking at times have been a little bit of an issue even though they've handled jet sweeps quite well.
1: How about the uh pass defense? Who's who stood out to you there?
2: Well, um they're they got some veteran defensive backs. Kobe Williams is excellent. He is their best uh defensive back on the team as a senior from Long Beach Poly, played for Antonio Pierce there, went to Long Beach Community College, um, the other side has been pretty good, but not, not excellent. And that's where you see Jack Jones and Chase Lucas kind of rotating. Each of them ha- has given up a couple big plays this year. And when they've, they've lost or they've been threatened, it's been when they've given up uh, the home run balls on that side of the field. And So that's something to watch in this game, of course, with Pittman and Vons and what they have from a big play capability. Uh, I don't think they're going to probably beat Kobe Williams, or at least that's kind of unlikely. And I think ASU is going to go sometimes to some dime defense stuff against USC, where they have all three of those guys on the field. Ashari Crosswell is a star safety from Long Beach Poly as a sophomore, but he's, um, I think, much better in zone coverage than man. So when teams are able to get some isolation against him in some man coverages, I think that's... Uh, an issue. And they've also induced some assignment errors uh, on him with uh, just kind of looking where he's not supposed to on some plays. So there is there is an opportunity for USC to hit on a couple big shots. And I think that's actually going to be one of the, the whole keys to this game. And that's why ASU also has to do a good job of getting slow this a uh, little bit uh, uncomfortable having to move in the pocket a little bit more than he wants to.
1: Jack Jones, a name familiar with USC fans, former five-star quarterback that was on the Trojans' roster. Not a lot of interceptions uh, for this group, but uh, really good at, at, at forcing fumbles, recovering fumbles. USC last week played Oregon, who was number one in the conference in turnover margin. ASU is number two. USC is still number 12. What have they been doing to kind of you take care of the ball and also force some of those turnovers
2: well they've done an excellent job taking care of the ball uh, jane daniels has been excellent with ball security in, in all respects you know benjamin had you know one bad fumble against ucla but generally takes care of the ball the receivers have taken a good care of the ball they had a goal on defense of getting 20 interceptions this year and they're just like if they get halfway there this season, you know that that's that would be maybe even like uh, a good result at this point. I think they haven't been able to just have the situational awareness, and maybe it's been a little bit of unluckiness in some respects. And then some players just they're getting to spots like a, a split second late. They're just like barely missing on some of their breaks or some of their reads. It just seems like. They haven't been able to to execute uh, nearly enough to be able to make some of those big plays happen. And I think that's something that they are, are going to really try to address in this game. If you look at Slovis, in, at least in my opinion, he's been excellent, I think, as a freshman also, but where he has struggled at times with fitting balls into zone coverages and with maybe not seeing some underneath defenders. And so I think ASU is going to try, to uh, do some creative things to maybe get him thinking the coverage is one thing, but then it's going to kind of shift into being something else. And maybe he, uh, maybe he won't be able to uh, identify somebody who's in zone coverage.
1: On the uh, special teams units, anyone standing out to you? What's been good? What's been bad about Sun Devil special teams?
2: Well, they have a, they have a very good bordering on great punter in Michael Turk. Uh, I think he's probably a top 10 punter in the country. He uh, has the ability to really flip the field. I mean, he's had a whole bunch of kicks that were over 55 yards this year, but even really over 60 yards. So that he's a weapon. They, their top place kicker, Brandon Reese, you know, he kind of had some issues with the staff and decided to transfer. And their backup, Christians and has been very accurate from inside of 40 yards. But outside of 40 yards, it's been kind of hit or miss. He doesn't have a very strong leg. He's made probably a half dozen from over 40, but he's also misses many, and so that's an issue. But on the return game, Brandon Ayuk is a guy who's he has big play potential, especially on kickoffs. I think that he's a guy that can potentially take one back in, in any game, even though he hasn't done one done so this year.
1: Pretty good start, five and one uh, for Herm Herm's Squad. Uh, a lot of close games, beating a, a ranked team like Michigan State, lost the last two by double digits, which we haven't really seen a lot. Most be, mostly been close games for Arizona State. What do you think's kind of gone wrong the last couple of games? And did the bye week? Is there anything in the bye week to kind of help get this team back on track the way they were playing earlier in the season?
2: Well, Utah, I I think they were just physically dominated at the point of attack with their offensive line, and they also had a whole bunch of self inflicted wounds, like just dumb penalties and and mistakes. And so they were just time and again, they were facing second and forever third and long. They weren't able to get any drives going. And it just kind of spiraled. You can't really, you can't really have that be the situation on the road against Utah. When you have a freshman quarterback and a young team and against UCLA, I feel like they just didn't really come out with the, the sense of urgency and a readiness to play. It was very anomalous to what I have tended to see from a Herm Edwards coach team. Now, the good news for them is that they, they fought back and they scored, you know, 22 unanswered points in the fourth quarter. The game wasn't as close as the final score. But the third down, just bad, bad third down play and just uh, also uh, just, you know, dumb penalties. They had, like, Shari Crosswell kick the football after an incomplete pass. Uh, they had a couple other 15-yarders. And that's not also been... The case for her, meta-words. Um I do think that the young players are very much bought in, and it is a young team. Uh, I think the bye week helped them to get healthy. They really don't have almost any injury issues, which is uh, that's a, unusual at this point in time of the season. And I think psychologically, they, they from what I've seen and from what I've talked to you with the players, they do seem to be in, in pretty good you know shape overall despite uh, losing those two games. So I think that they'll be uh, they'll be in a, probably in a, in a good place now. If the if the game gets going bad at the outset for them, then you then there's a question about how they handle it. I think that's kind of a normal thing to expect.
1: And last thing for you Chris. We saw a couple weeks ago for USC fans going into Colorado, a team that wasn't playing that well and they sort of found their groove. Like a LaVisca Chenault who wasn't doing much, he he got going and you know Steven Montez probably had his best game in a while. Mike, I feel like you, kind of, you might see a, a better ASU team than what we've seen. Do you feel like that? How is this one's going to go? Or how do you think this one's going to play out?
2: I, mean, I don't really have a great feeling for it in that respect. USC is obviously a more talented team than ASU. I think mean, that's pretty clear. But I don't think that, that USC is a better coach team. And I think that um, USC and ASU have both been a little bit volatile of late, right? And so that, that's what makes this game a little bit unpredictable. I, I, I picking ASU to win by, you know, like two or three points. Uh, they've tended to win closer games at home. You know, they've other than maybe the the one against Colorado. I don't know. I just have a feeling that, that, that they're going to rebound, but I definitely could be off. And I, I think that USC presents a lot of challenge. If USC was fully healthy, Ryan, I, I would pick USC, but I think, you know, I don't know what you got an update on Drake Jackson and some of these other guys, but to me, it seems like those things are going to be a little bit of an issue for USC.
1: Yeah, the the running back situation is still banged up. It looks like Drake Jackson would be able to play, which would be uh, a huge help for USC. But the running back situation, it seems to have a, a negative effect on this offense. I don't think they fully trust uh, Keenan Christen, but but we'll see.
2: Drake Jackson? Drake Jackson alone is, you know, to me that's a difference maker. If he's if he's really healthy, watch watch Drake Jackson against Ladarius Henderson, the 17 year old left tackle for ASU. Uh, I think if he's if Drake Jackson is healthy, I think that alone might be enough for USC to put it over the edge.
1: Roy Hemsley out there too, right?
2: Yeah, Roy Hemsley, former Trojan. He's <laughs> uh, he's been playing both right and left tackle, not starting, but he'll I'm sure he'll play a lot.
1: All right. Uh, Chris does an amazing job covering the Arizona State Sun Devils for SunDevilSource.com. Make sure you check out his stuff. Thanks, Chris.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Ryan.
1: Great stuff there. We're going to take a quick break. Come right back, and I'll start answering all of your questions. You guys sent in a lot this week, so I'll do my best.
0: eBay Motors is here for the ride.
1: All right, we are back here on the Parastyle Podcast. Before we get back to the questions, want to put your extensive sports knowledge to the test? You can get it done with my bookie. The college football season is nearing the finish line. I can't believe it. NFL, those in full swing. Also early on in the NBA and NHL seasons, it's the perfect time to get off the sidelines and get into the action with my bookie. My personal picks in the Pac-12 are heating up. I've had two winning weekends in a row. Do you think the Trojans could bounce back and cover this weekend? Go to MyBookie and put some action on it. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to MyBookie. No one gives you more ways to win. The best part is if you join right now, MyBookie will double your first deposit up to 1000 bucks. That's right. You put in $1,000, they give you $1,000. That's double your initial deposit that you can use on all of your favorite picks. So use the promo code PERISTYLE. To activate the offer, that's promo code PERISTYLE to double your cash. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, we got a lot of questions. I'm going to start. Okay, so our buddy Bobby in L.A., he left an over two-minute voicemail. He realized at the end it was long, but he still left a long voicemail. He had a couple points. He wants us to write an article about everything that Pat Hayden and Lynn Swan did wrong. He said, I know it's going to be a lot of work. And yes, Bobby, that's a lot of work. We've had fun kind of talking about it, but it's sort of one of those things where you're, you're, you've broken up. You, you had your divorce. Do you really want to go back and rehash all that stuff? We bring it up as needed, uh, but I think it's pretty clear how poorly both of those guys performed as USC's athletic director. He also wanted us to do some kind of segment where, sort of like our friend Colin Coward, what he does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong, he wants to say that we were too optimistic about Clay Helton back in the spring, and I think I would say some people on the staff might have been. Uh, with the changes that were made, I still predicted this team would go seven and five, and I think I'm going to hit that mark. I don't think USC will end up eight and four. I don't think they're going to be five and seven again like last year. I think uh, seven and five is where it's going to happen either but it's, it's tough I mean six and six is a realistic possibility because ASU uh, this is definitely a losable game I don't think Cal is a losable game unless something crazy happens Justin Wilcox said this week they have some kind of fix for the quarterback spot but they've been so bad at that quarterback spot I'm not picturing USC losing that game but UCLA is real um but I'd still kind of feel like seven and five. U.S.C. goes two and one down the stretch, seven and five, and that's the way things end up. But uh, Dan Weber predicted ten and two. He he had more optimism, but I wouldn't say in the spring I was saying, oh yeah, this team's back. And it was sort of like, well, they made some good moves. Um, I do like uh, I like Aaron Osmus, You know, I like uh, Graham Harrell and all that. But I wasn't. I wouldn't say I was optimistic coming into the season. And uh, so yeah. But thanks, Bobby. Just try to keep them short. Too long of voicemails. We can't play those ones. We had a, this was actually sent in over emails. So this was pre recorded, so we didn't have to call in on the voicemail line. I'll play this one for you now.
3: Hi, Ryan and crew. This is Crystal from Pasadena. My dad and I are huge fans of your show uh, and we listen to you often. I just have one quick question. Uh, Looking back, I was wondering if you thought that anything would have been different this season had the Cliff Kingsbury hire stuck. Um, I'm wondering if any of the problems that we're having now, if you think that those would have been resolved, having Cliff Kingsbury on staff, or if you think that that would have just been basically putting a Band-Aid over a bullet hole and we would have eventually had the same bleeding that we have now. Um, and I'm also wondering if he was on staff, if you think that right now the talk would be of him taking over the program or um, or if it would still be the same like higher urban Meyer talk. I was just kind of curious about that. I know there's no way to say 100% what it could have been, but I'm just wondering what your general thoughts are on that. Uh, as always, love your show and fight on.
1: All right, crystal and your dad. Thanks so much for being fans of the show. And thank That was a great voicemail. It was very clear. It was about a minute long. That's exactly what we want uh, about cliff Kingsbury. So, my thoughts on Cliff Kingsbury, I I always said like Graham Harrell, sort of like a 2.0 or, or Chris Cliff Kingsbury light, but you look at his offense, I think it's different. They utilize, he utilizes more of a mobile quarterback, and that's not something that Graham Harrell really put a lot of focus on. So if you bring in Cliff Kingsbury, does a Matt Fink or a Jack Sears, Jack Sears more likely, end up winning the job because he wants a more mobile quarterback. I think that's a realistic possibility. It could have changed the entire outlook of the season where if it's not JT Daniels and he doesn't get hurt in the very first game, what goes on uh, at that point? So I think the offense is different. The quarterback could be different. Um, But yeah, it's it's really hard to say after he left after a month, what would be different? But I, I think it could be significantly different, maybe a little better, maybe a little worse. It's hard to say. As far as him being the interim head coach, yeah, I mean, he's got so much more experience. That's the biggest deal here that, you know, he's been a college head coach. So him or uh, Mike Jenks would be like the two big candidates, but I think you'd bring in Kingsbury. And then it would depend on how the offense was doing. If the team was still losing and the offense was doing well, do you make him take over as head coach? That was sort of the fear or thought process going into the season. Because, you know, Cliff Kingsbury was a college head coach last year, you know, the, the, the year prior to USC hiring him. So, yeah, but great question. Thanks so much, Crystal. And uh, tell your dad hi. We got a question from Don. He says, I don't believe uh, to address email questions anymore. I'm, I'm not sure what he means by that. Uh, when you ask Clay Helton a question and he doesn't answer... What do you attribute it to? Okay, so we, I, I don't know if he thinks we're not answering his questions anymore. Uh, Don, we'll do our best. I think we try to answer your stuff every week. Uh, you Sometimes you send him multiple ones. I don't know if we answer them all. But So he says, what would you attribute that to? Uh, arrogance, incompetence. Helton is a fraud and not a, quote, good guy that everyone believes. Uh, he doesn't uh, respect anyone. Embarrassed? Probably not. He never admits he's wrong because he doesn't know what he doesn't know. Similar to Dan, I stopped listening to Helton's pressers early last year because I think Helton is an insincere person and a fraud. Wow. Don, some harsh words from Don. Um, Okay. So if we ask a question and Helton kind of talks around it, doesn't answer it. I think what he's doing, it's not arrogance or incompetence. I think what he has is his own narrative. So if you're a politician, you're running for office and Uh, I I don't know, pick some issue like the environment and say you're like super pro environment stuff. And then someone asks you a question about uh, jobs being lost because of your pro environment stance. You're not going to say, well, here's why it's okay for jobs to be lost. You're going to say, God, I don't want to be political. I'm just trying to give you an example. But as a politician, you're going to say what's important about saving the environment. Like we need trees and uh Saving the owls or whatever. So, someone asked you a question about the negative aspects of what you what's important to you, and you're going to answer with the positives of why that thing is important to you. So, I I think Clay Hilton does a lot of that. So, to me, it's more political than everything and than anything. And I don't think uh, Dan has not stopped listening to uh, Clay Hilton pressers. We still do, but Dan hasn't called in. Uh, lately Don has another. So to the, uh, the conference calls. So I called it, like I called in a special teams question in the last call, but Dan for the second time this season has not, uh, called in. So he's always calling. It's been over 10 years since he hadn't And it twice this year. He hasn't. Cause it's just sort of like at this point, he kind of knows what the answer is going to be. There's nothing really there. Don also wrote and He said expectations met. So he has two points, Ryan, USC finally met the expectation of a Helton coach team. Ill-prepared. Bad game planning, bad decision making, and boat raced by an equally talented team. I like to use that used boat raced. I love that term. He says uh, makeup of players from uh, from SC's backyard. So we talk about the Oregon group. As Dennis Green used to say, Helton is who we thought he was. So I guess there's no question there. It's just a statement. And then I know number two. He says I know that Harold loves Keaton, but he is nothing special. Most college quarterbacks will make a few NFL type throws if they attempt over 50 passes. Do you think next year's quarterback competition is Keaton's to lose rather than a true competition? If Helton remains as head coach, do you think USC will break the top 50 in recruiting? Top 100. Dot. Well, USC's already in the top 100. They're like number 64, but they're number 10 in the Pac-12. That's a problem. Um, I don't think Clayton's going to be back next year, so I don't think you have to worry about that. And it's going to depend on who the coach is as far as the quarterback competition goes. So the offense changed this year, so you didn't know who was going to win. Um, or you thought you didn't know who's going to win. So that's sort of the way that goes. Uh, all right. Frank at Sacramento, urban cowboy says urban Meyer is 187 and 32 and 17 seasons as a head coach with four different teams. He was three. Uh, he has three national championships and has never had a losing season. His worst record was eight and five with USC's beefed up compliance team. Why wouldn't he be a perfect fit for USC right now? Frank in Sacramento, Frank, I agree with you. Urban Meyer is the perfect fit. Uh, if you listen to the Move the Sticks podcast, our friend Daniel Jeremiah, who's a member of the Peristyle, and uh, Bucky Brooks do a great job. They you know cover an NFL, but they had Urban Meyer on. Listen to Urban Meyer describe how he would build a college football team, what his process is, stuff he learned from Lou Holtz. You know, walking into uh, a situation where he takes over as head coach. He says he hates uh when people say, well, wait do you get his player, you know, his players in there. He says, that's bull. He says, those players are yours the day you walk in. And what you do is you walk in and like he talks to everyone and says, You guys didn't choose me, but I chose you. You are instantly in the family, and those are your players. And the way he talked about creating the right culture is amazing. Like if you want to the difference between a coach that knows what he's doing and everybody else is if there's a wide gap and and Urban Meyer is on that side where that's the guy who knows what he's doing. So, yeah, I agree with you. Um USC needs to look desperately at Urban Meyer. He's the home run. You got to get things back on track. USC made so many bad decisions as hires. I don't think you leave yourself a choice but not to 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 go after Urban Meyer because of the situation you put yourself in with all the bad leadership choices. He is good leadership. He will create the right culture around the program, and he will win, and I'm 100% convinced of that. Uh, Let's go to voicemail.
2: Hi, Curtis from the Reno Valley. Still smarting from that Oregon loss, but I'm rooting for UCLA this week. I don't know if they're playing Utah at home or on the road. Hope it's at the Rose Bowl, because then we have a chance to go to the Rose Bowl because of the tiebreaker with Utah. Curtis
3: from Moreno Valley.
1: Curtis, sounds like you're uh, you're gonna about to cry at the end of that one. Um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, if you're if you're rooting for USC or UCLA and Utah in the Rose Bowl, that's not happening. That's happening in Salt Lake City. So, yes, it's going to be a difficult task, but UCLA is playing good football right now. But here's the thing. If UCLA is good enough to go on the road and beat Utah, they're probably going to beat USC in the Coliseum, too. I just think – I don't know if you want to really keep hanging on to somehow backing into the Rose Bowl. Like, I think you just have to worry about what USC is doing and, you know, try to play – better at this point. Like you just have to play better. Like the whole narrative about controlling your own destiny and getting back to the road. Like you had lost the BYU. You had lost three games at that point. You're still like, you know, you lost your rival, Notre Dame. I don't think that was, should have been the focus. And I still don't think it should be the focus. Like you're, you're kind of buying into the Clay Helton narrative right now. And it's like, Hey, we were five and seven last year. This is what I want to hear. You're five and seven last year. We're trying to play better this year. We screwed up a couple of times. That's not happening again. We're gonna play. We're gonna play out the string. We're gonna start pounding people and play USC football. Like I want to hear something like that, not like, here's the reasons why losing to Notre Dame doesn't matter because we still control our own destiny in the pac South. That just didn't ring true for me. That was just hollow. All right, we got an email from Scott. I think this is a little critical. He says this is about Tunnel Vision. So Tunnel Vision, if you guys don't know, that's our live show Thursday nights. And Sunday nights uh, on YouTube, Facebook, and Periscope, we do it live. We take live calls, so you don't have to leave a voicemail. You just call in live and talk. And uh, we'll, we'll do all the comments from YouTube, Periscope, and, and Facebook. We'll take your comments live and answer the questions right during the show. He said, I stopped listening to your tunnel vision a few, years, a few weeks ago. You all sit there, talk and say what's wrong, but the elephant in the room is Clay Helton. He should have never been hired by Pat Hayden and kept by Lynn Swan. He should have been fired last year and should have been fired uh, yesterday like Lane Kiffin uh, was after losing to Arizona State. Could have had some big-time coaches at USC, but they didn't. I've been watching USC football for 54 years now, and I'm on the verge of stopping that now from Scott. Um, Scott, yeah, on Tunnel Vision and here on the Parastyle Podcast, I think we've been pretty open about, I've said that a million times. USC never should have hired Clay Helton. Like that was a mistake from the beginning. They should have fired him after last year. Like I, I agree with you. Pat Hayden made so many bad decisions. Um, I, yeah, I mean, but what are you gonna say? We're still gonna talk about this team. Like you can't just say, "Well, Clay Helton should have been hired." So I'm not gonna talk about the team for four years. Like that, that would be that wouldn't do do well. So we still gotta talk about the team. But yes, that's the underlying factor: is uh, Clay Helton did not have the resume to be USC's head coach. USC's just made. Poor decisions. Pat Hayden did not have the resume to be the athletic director. Lynn Swan didn't have the resume to be the athletic director, but they keep hiring these people that aren't qualified for the job because they're around, they know them. And it's this nepotistic attitude that's got USC in this mess. That's why I think you got to get a guy like Urban Meyer so many bad hires in a row that even if you have some questions about some of the stuff he Urban Meyer has done, you know, go for it. You know, I talked to, uh, you know, I, yeah, I'm not even going to get into that stuff. USC can't afford not to get a guy like Urban Meyer because they've made so many bad choices in the past. All right, uh, we also got a way too long voicemail from uh, Lamar uh, from Lancaster. So he was uh, he didn't like Ed Orgeron. He said he's not an X and O guy. Uh, he's, he went out and got good staff. He likes the way USC's offense is right now, and he wouldn't have wanted Ed Orgeron. Uh, Lamar, yeah, I I mean, I don't agree with you there. I think uh, Ed would have done an amazing job at USC. Now, he probably needed some support, and he's getting financial support at LSU. But, you know, five or six players that transferred out wouldn't have transferred out. You don't take Sark away from Washington, so maybe they don't get Chris Peterson and go to the playoff. Like, there's so many bad things that happen by not keeping Ed Orgeron. And, uh, you know, I would have loved to see what he was able to do. He's grown as a coach, you know. And I think Urban Meyer has grown as a coach as well. One of the criticisms was all the players that he had at Florida that were thugs that got in trouble. And I don't, you didn't see that. I think he improved at Ohio State. Now, the competition isn't as stiff. You're not, if you're Florida, you're not going against Alabama and LSU and Auburn and all those teams in Georgia. You're not doing that. You know, you got like Michigan and some Penn State, and like, you know, you could still dominate uh, the Big 10. But I don't think he recruited those kind of guys at Ohio State. It was a lot different. So I think that's something where he realized he didn't need to do that anymore. He didn't want to deal with that headache anymore. And so I think one of the criticisms of, of Urban Meyer was a similar thing to what people were criticizing at Orgeron, how bad he was at Ole Miss. But he learned a lot from that experience. And I think Urban Meyer learned a lot from the Florida experience and applied that at Ohio State. And I think he would do the same thing what he learned there. Uh, any mistakes that were made there, he could apply at USC. And and the, just listen to that podcast. It's so good. And uh, how he would improve the culture. David O'Brien uh, in Stockton, he's class of 86, says, Hey, Ryan and crew, uh, enjoy your coverage of USC football, especially the last two difficult seasons. How does this play out with Coach Clay Helton? After the season or in season, that he is not coming back, uh, but can coach the remaining three regular season games? Does the new AD make a decision, or will Dave Roberts make the decision so the new AD doesn't have this on his plate? The new AD press conference could be very interesting if the majority of questions are about when are you going to, quote, fire Clay Helton. Almost everybody wants to go the urban route, but what is realistic? I see something similar in the UCLA basketball hire. UCLA went swinging for the fences, uh, baseball analogy for basketball, uh, Cap Bennett, Wright, Dixon, and Barnes. Bennett up with a solid hidden gem in Mick Cronin. The last nine years, he's won 20 games each season. Mick Cronin is an excellent coach. Urban Stoops, Franklin, Peterson, Cocho, and Whittingham will be on the wish list, but no traction. Who are Mick, Who are the Mick Cronins of football? Uh, Campbell, Harson, uh, Norvell, PJ Rule, et cetera. Any thoughts? Thanks again for your coverage, uh, David in Stockton. Thanks, David. Good stuff there. Let's see. So, um, yeah, we we could know. I'm recording this Wednesday, somewhat evening. We could have an athletic director announced uh, by Thursday, tomorrow. Uh, so, by the time you listen to this, maybe it could be out already. Um, and it's not going to be a Dave Roberts decision. Dave Roberts would have made some kind of decision if this was going to take a long time. USC, you knew that wasn't going to happen. USC could not afford to take a long time. You need to make something happen now there will be questions about as soon as that you know if there's a press conference on Thursday, there'll be questions about Urban Meyer, Clay Helton getting fired, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, it's going to be really interesting. And I like all the the names you put out there. Coach O's not going to come back. I don't think they're going to do like a Kyle Whittingham kind of thing. Um, I do like uh, P.J. Fleck, but he just signed an extension. I think he's more realistic to be taken next year than this year because the the buyout drops by like half. Uh, But a bunch of good names there, and I'm curious to see. But you got to go for the fences. You got to go for Urban Meyer. That's uh, I. No one's going to convince me otherwise. So I hope I made that point clear here. Let's see. Uh, Let's. We got Mick in Virginia. Thank goodness this torture is over. We can begin to look to the future. An activity all too familiar for USC fans since Pete Carroll left. Just when you reach the point you're able to disregard all the problems plaguing this team and root hard for them to win, they totally self-destruct again. The good news is this roller coaster is officially shut down for a major overhaul. I won't speculate on who I think the next coach should be, but I'm confident he will share at least one characteristic with our new AD. He will have successfully done the job before. What a concept. Our future is bright, and it's finally here, Mick of Virginia. Hey, Mick, I agree with you there. I think... The bar is so low at USC that what you're seeing is just get an athletic director who has some sort of experience and boom, you're so far ahead of where you were. You're so far ahead of the curve. And the same thing, get a, an experienced head coach who's been you know, winning games for years and years. And if you do that, you're going to be way ahead of keeping your interim coach because he's... Someone that you're familiar with and you'd rather not go take a risk on somebody else that's powerful and could do the job. We'd rather just like hope that the guy that we know and is familiar with can do the job as opposed to bringing someone from the scary outside who has their own ideas and come in and mess up the little fiefdoms that are all around this USC athletic department. So all that stuff. It's got to change. There's some really good people in the athletic department. Give them some power, put them in a better situation with better leadership. And then the same thing on the coaching side and bring in an experienced coach who's going to say, All right, here's what our sports staff is going to be like. Here's what the, the assistant staff is going to be like. There's going to be assistants on the staff that could take over and be the head coach. Who's the interim coach right now? Like, there's not, it's not that strong of a staff where you're like, Oh, that guy's a, the next head coach in waiting. You can't build a staff like that. You feel like it's more of a you know where you know back in the World War II days where Stalin would execute all the the important generals because he didn't want to have any threats. But now now your people are being led, your troops are being led by inferior leaders. And I think that's the way this staff is built more out of kind of fear than anything else. I like some of the guys and everything, but they need you needed relentless recruiters up and down the board. You don't have that. You got some good ones. Uh, and you just needed experienced guys. Like normally, this offense has two wide receiver coaches. USC has one wide receiver coach, and it's Kerry Colbert who I like, but he's really inexperienced. You know, this was his first year coaching wide receivers in the Air Raid. Uh, coaching wide receivers all, and he's coaching the Air Raid. Like you should have had two wide receiver coaches, and let you know if you want one of them to be a rookie, that's fine. But you can't, you can't do it this way. And I think that's the other aspect for Crystal. And I, I should have brought this up before Crystal's uh, voicemail. I think the staff would have been different too because I think Cliff Kingsbury would have demanded more of his people where Graham Harrell is young and he, I don't know if he, you know, he's like, hey, we get to bring in Mike Jenks and he brings in like uh, John Baker or whatever it is. Like it's a support person, but I think a Kingsbury is like, okay, here's who we want and we're going to bring these people in, not here's who Clay Helton feels comfortable having on staff. Yeah, if like with Kingsbury, I guarantee you there have been two wide receiver coaches and most likely both, you know, one of them would have been very experienced. Uh, we got one from, let's see, Jack in New Jersey. He says, uh, these are observations he had from Saturday night. Ryan, like many USC fans, I just need to blow off some steam. That's why we're here, Jack. He said, I've never seen a national sports commentator get as agitated as Reggie Bush on the Fox halftime report. He is obviously still very passionate about USC and represented the fan base with his comments. Alas... Brady Quinn was correct when he stated that USC was hindered in the running game by injuries. No one, and I mean no one, agrees that the kickoff at the end of the first half should have been kicked as it was. The officiating was, again, suspect and inconsistent. Gus Johnson uh, commenting on how good the Oregon offensive line is because they practice ones versus ones as much, if not more, than any team in the country haven't I heard that discussed on the podcast ad nauseum? Clay Helton is nothing more than Paul Hackett 2.0. Lastly, I feel bad for the players. They expected to come to a top five program and have been sold a bill of goods by an uh, unqualified head coach. It's like going to Spago for dinner and the new chef's only experience has been flipping burgers at McDonald's. Ugh, sorry if this was too long. I'm just at my wits end and at least the Lakers are off to a good start this year. Jack from New Jersey. P.S. Happy to see there were no... Injuries this week. First of all, Jack, amazing because you got the food analogy going, and I love that. Yeah, you don't want a a, a short order cook at Spago's. You want, a, you know, a a, a Michelin trained chef. You know, you want someone that's really experienced there, that's done a lot of good things. That you know, all that stuff. So I love the analogy. Uh, great stuff there. Yeah, Reggie. I think Reggie was uh, he was upset, but I think he was off base. The kickoff I don't agree with. You heard from uh, John Baxter, and I wrote a story this week about. Special teams, and he says he doesn't look at the numbers and all this stuff, and you know whatever it's they're, they've underperformed on special teams uh again, and that's another situation where Clay Hilton needed to move on from John Baxter, and they did not, and I you know we saw we've seen it, and you know he talked about John Baxter talked about Valus Jones, he said we return kickoffs, who cares if you don't get out to the twenty five you could break one. And it's like, well, you broke one against Fresno State and you haven't since. And you haven't even come close since. And you've had a fumble on kickoff returns and you've had uh three penalties on kickoff returns. So, you would have been better off as an offense to just take the ball at the 25. And he doesn't see that. He doesn't that's not his philosophy, and that's fine, but I think as as a head coach Clay Helton, you have to go, okay, well, we're moving on. We're not doing this anymore. Um, and I think as a head coach you just you need to talk tell, tell John Baxter hey, Ellis Jones isn't cutting it. He's not bringing it out past the 25. Constantly the offense is in a bit of a hole. So just fair catch it. And John Baxter brought up there's there's a risk to fair catching it because if you muff the fair catch, then you get the ball where you muffed it and not at the 25, but I mean you're muffing the the the, the <laughs> you're muffing a kickoff. Like you shouldn't be doing that anyway. Um so I don't know. I I just I was not encouraged by what John Baxter had to say and that to me is more of a shortcoming on Clay Helton's side where he has to look at those numbers. When I write that story and then the other reporters are asking John Baxter about it and you know, we I asked Clay Helton about it on the conference call that's one of those things where you have to realize like we're not doing this right. And I think sometimes they can be so stubborn and they just come in with a plan like this is our plan when things aren't working, it's okay to change the plan. You're like, you know what? We thought Bayless Jones would be returning more kickoffs you know, to midfield or anything. I mean, they've had four kickoffs all year that got past the 26-yard line. So all those kickoffs, they've returned the third most in the country. People aren't returning kickoffs anymore. You know why? Because it doesn't make sense. If it's a deep kickoff, you're better off taking a knee. You're better off letting it go in the end zone. USC and the power five, no one returns more kicks than USC. And they, they return like nine more kickoffs than the next closest team in power five. So USC is the anomaly here and it's not working. The numbers show it's not working and they're still not get, they're still saying this is the way we do it. Well, the whole country changed when the rule changed last year, you should be changing your philosophy and they have it. And so to me, that's uncoaching and that's a shortcoming there. All right, next up, let's see. We got one from Ross, he said a picture, actually, so this is a, you can't see it on the podcast, but I'll tell you what it I'll show. I'll describe what I'm seeing here. He says, it's time for a Ryan rant slash Ram. First, thank you for everything you guys do as the podcast got me through some very tough times recovering from a multiple vertebrae uh, fusion last December. Wow. Uh, sorry to hear that, Ross. Uh, the quality, consistency, passion and dedication your team exhibits is what our beloved team desperately needs on a visit to Santa Barbara. Just before the season started, I snapped this photo thinking we may need some extra ammunition to bring the tradition back. There's no doubt that the time has come for all hands on deck. As such, the Ryan Ram is attached. Thank you for your phenomenal production and delivery, my best, Uh, Ron, class of 1980. So it's uh, this boat in a a harbor with a bunch of like sailboats around it, but this is like more of a looks more like a powerful, like kind of tugboat sort of thing. And it says Ryan on the side of it, it's red and black. Uh, so that's the Ram rant from Ryan. So thanks for the yeah, thanks for the photo, very cool. And uh, yeah, I've, I've gone on a few rants. I'm not going to lie, there have been a few uh, rants for me, as you guys know. But that's what I do. I kind of do the ranting thing. Um, let's see, we got so these we got some for Dan Weber that that uh, you know kind of came in late or we didn't get to in the Dan Weber podcast. So I'll try to do my best to answer those. Steve, uh, USC class of '97. So. He says, if USC is planning on moving on from Clay Helton, do you think they're making a mistake by waiting until the end of the season to make the decision? They're going to be behind other schools, such as Florida State, who have already begun their coaching search and who could be their direct competition in landing a top coach. Why couldn't USC make an announcement now that they plan on making a coaching change at season's end but still allow Helton the opportunity to finish out the season with the team? This would simultaneously allow Helton to uh, a more graceful exit allowed a school to get a jump on their coaching search and give hope to fans and alumni that change is coming. What are your thoughts? Thanks and fight on, Steve, class of 97. Yeah, so Steve, this is all about the poor leadership that's been going on there because USC doesn't have an athletic director. Um, they're, they're not in that really that position to do that. I don't think you can ask David Roberts to. I don't think Carol Fult wants to get her hands dirty, even though, you know, I think she's getting her hands dirty behind the scenes. She doesn't want to come in and say, hey, I'm firing Clay Helton. He was at practice, or she was at practice, along with Rick Caruso, the uh, head of the board of trustees, um, on Tuesday. So that's uh, that's going on. I do like the idea. I think because there's not really a great candidate for interim head coach on the staff, you could make that announcement. And who knows? Thursday we could hear. You know, it's Mike Bone, the athletic director that like we had heard before. He's announced, and he makes a decision that. Clay Helton is going to play out the string, but he will be replaced at the end of the season. So, and I think you get a jump. Now, I think USC's in a in the pole position as far as jobs go. I do think that they're the the only realistic possibility right now for Urban Meyer. I think it's a good spot and you go after him. And I think you could even get like a James Franklin. There's there's some good candidates. I think the athletic director position was going to be harder to fill. You could get someone, I mean, infinitely better than what you had, because that's not that hard. But I don't know if you were to get a rock star AD. You can get the rock star coach because it's USC. Let's see. Dad, class of 1962, he said, I finally given up after the debacle Saturday night. There are plenty of reasons to replace Clay Helton, including the following. We keep hearing that USC has only one scholarship running back, but that is not true. They have a very good running back named Matt Fink. A goal line package with a wildcat formation with Matt Fink as quarterback would have put another running option in play, but Fink was never used. Clay Helton has no creativity and doesn't even know how to use the special skills of players. Why was Dominic Davis only given two running plays? His first of the year, by the way, when he was recruited as a speedy running back, the incompetence of Clay Helton and his uh, incompetent assistants is beyond compare. Please comment on the non-use of Fink and Davis fight on uh, with Urban Meyer, Dan class of 1962. Yeah, Dan, I don't agree with you on the Matt Fink stuff that's not what this offense is like you you that's like saying why aren't they putting a fullback in and running under center like well that's not what they do that's not that's not part of this offense and that offense doesn't have a package for Wildcat for Matt Fink they've had other offenses that have that and this one doesn't I do agree with the Dominic Davis stuff I wanted to see a little bit more of him but he gets a couple carries and he gets a concussion so he's out um and we'll see if he's able to play in this game but I would have liked to see more of him uh in this situation and and they weren't able to Eric uh, wrote in, Hey guys, questions for Dan on the play where uh, Elijah Griffin was flagged for personal foul. The guy he was guarding threw him on the ground after the whistles were blown to stop the play. OG was ticked off about being thrown down after the play was blown dead and got up and shoved the Oregon player. How was he flagged 15 yards for a minor shove when the Oregon player just threw him to the ground right in front of the ref, Eric? Um, so I think he was being blocked for one and Two, you usually get the guy who's retaliating, not the guy who does the initial foul. So that happens constantly in college football. So you can't, you have to know, as a football player out there, especially on a day where flags are flying all over the place, that you can't retaliate. you got to be on your best behavior, and Elijah Griffin was not. You let your emotions uh, take over. And Oregon had a ton of flags. I mean, they had 112 yards of penalties in the first half, so – it's not like this was a uh, a officiating staff that was leaning towards USC. It's just an incompetent officiating staff, and they were making mistakes on both sides. There was a, some egregious errors uh, both ways. So uh, I wouldn't worry too much about that, just that one specific play. Uh, Brendan in Colorado, he says – he has two questions. One, do you notice after the kickoff return for a touchdown, the Oregon player threw up uh, the V? Yeah, I saw that. So um, – Mikael Wright, he yeah, he was like doing like a fight on thing. So we've seen that uh, before. And he said too, is there any way shotgun can break down formations and personnel from the first quarter to the rest? Also, shout out to uh, Rick in Humboldt County, Ray Malugas Country, fight on Brennan in uh, Colorado. Uh, break down formations from the first quarter to the rest. So, I mean, I can run it by shotgun. He's got, I mean, he's got a lot on his plate. He breaks down a lot on that film study. But I'm not sure if he's going to break it down that way, but I'll check with him. Uh, We got Rich and La Mirada. He says, thanks for the – I love the banner. Best in the biz. Well, thanks, Rich. Uh, What do you think of our quarterback situation next year? We have uh, uh, Daniels back. Numbers don't lie with Slovis. Lost talent with no good switch in recruiting. I'm not sure what he's saying here. Besides a new coach choosing his own, who's likely starter choice by – you for what you do uh thanks that rich okay let's let's work on the grammar a little bit rich and maybe do a little proofread before you send it over i yeah I, you can't comment on it because you don't know who the coach is going to be you don't know what the offense is going to be it could be completely different so i just you just don't know at this point like and i'm not i'm not sure why it comes up a lot like i do radio shows and people ask about it people ask about it all the time but when you know the whole coaching staff is going to be different What is the point of talking about who the quarterback is going to be? Because it just depends on what the offense is. But I do think it's going to be tough for JT Daniels because he's likely going to be out for the spring and maybe part of fall camp, too. So that would put Keaton Slovis in a much better spot uh, because of that. This is another question about Keaton Slovis. He says, hello, Daniel from L.A. Uh, Below I listed some statements that could sum up uh, Keaton Slovis' career if Clay Helton stays. What do you all think? Thanks to fight on. Uh, so here are his uh, sayings, I guess. Slovis, great find. Diamond in the rough. Extremely capable of being a day one quarterback. Poor coaching staff. Coaching staff not capable of taking him to the next level. If coaching staff remains, he will fall in the draft. Lose out on millions. Lose out on receiving national media attention. Get banged up. Or potentially get a season-ending injury for poor offensive line play and development. Have below average stats from insufficient offensive scheme will regress by junior season uh due to below average coaching staff. Um interesting that yeah he's trying to make it read like a uh, scouting report. I don't think it's a poor offensive system. I think it's a very a system that's very um friendly to quarterbacks. And I think we've seen all the quarterbacks come in and play well and then you know they've made a bunch of mistakes too. But we're seeing it be more efficient than what we've seen in the past. So I think it's not the offensive system, but uh interesting scouting there, but Keaton Slovis, for a true freshman, I think he's uh played pretty well. And, you know, he's had some bad games. He's had some three interception games. There's uh, you know, there's stuff to clean up, but and there, you know, some unlucky plays that happened in that Oregon game. But overall, you get a guy like a three star dude who wasn't really highly recruited, is able to come in and play at a high level for for a while. I think that's a I think that's a positive development. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap things up here. It's about an hour. I hope you guys enjoyed this preview podcast for us here on the Parastyle Podcast. We're uh, doing a bunch of these a week. We'll still have Tunnel Vision on Thursday night. Don't forget, Friday night at midnight, KABC here in Los Angeles. Or you could go to KABC.com. Uh, I believe it's KABC.com, uh, KABC Radio here. You can listen to the Peristyle pregame show, a, a show we produce and we'll uh, have four different segments for it, and we'll we'll put it up in podcast form too. But you can also listen to it live on the on the USC flag, flagship station, which is now KABC. So I hope you guys have been listening to that. It's been fun to produce that show this year and uh, put it all together. So hope you guys like it. All right, well that's going to wrap things up. My voice is almost gone. It's not you know try to talk for like an hour or so just by yourself, or it's not you know not always easy. It's good. We I like doing it. These There's a great way to kind of get through some of those extra questions that have come in after our first couple of shows of the week where you still want to talk about the game a little bit that happened, but you want to look forward to the next game and you want to look forward to the future. And there's a lot of you out there looking forward to the future right now because, you know, it's USC football. But thanks so much for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time.